Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary VTW, void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumbacasino.com Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Seria Chronicles is a Bayard Chronicles production. <laughs> Welcome to the Serie Chronicles Q&A mailbag section of our podcast. I'm obviously joined by Nikki Bandini as we go through your questions and try to answer them in the best way that we can. Nikki was just making me laugh beforehand, so this is why I sound so excited. <laughs> but uh, I either way... Never. <laughs> She's such a lie. Anyway... Um, Let's start off with the first question, Nikki. I mean, I would ask you how you are, but I've just been speaking to you for the last two hours. So I know, you know, <laughs> I, I just kind of know that you're all right. You we know? have a clue. Yeah. <laughs> we have a clue. But the first question comes from Billy Maguire in New Delhi. And he asks, is Serie A losing its identity with almost every team playing high press attacking football? Or is this the best way forward? Nikki. I mean, I think he's referring to in specific Juventus and Cagliari who play such high pressing football. So I'm joking. You're, you're, you're just giving me the metaphors, aren't you? It's winter in England. Are we in the winter of Serie A with the sun coming down on, on oh. Serie A because everyone's playing the same football? No, it's not what's happening at all. Um, I, I don't think that's something to worry about, Bully. I think that football is absolutely cyclical. Um, I think high level football is absolutely driven by copycat um, coaching. I think that when a new sort of approach catches on, it's generally because a different approach has prevailed for a while. And so someone has finally worked out what the answer to that is. And um, then everyone copies it. And then before too long, someone else comes up with something different. And this is sort of really, um, really common uh, across, you know, Europe and across all of uh, European football. And I think that we've probably gone through quite a sort of um, 
significant phase of counterattacking football um, in Syria. And I think even now you still see some legacy of that. There's way more teams playing with a back three than there were um, even, gosh, 10 years ago. And a back three lends itself more to a sort of counterattacking style. And now you're seeing an evolution from that into this um, more fluid formations and and more uh, aggressive way of using that formation where it's not, it starts as a back three, but it becomes something different when you're in possession. And I think that is not new. That's been going on for a few years. But of course, as Mina has sort of alluded to on the way into this question, there are plenty of teams that that aren't doing that. Um, I think that even last season, Inter won the league, not playing high press attacking football. This season under Simona Inzaghi, I would say they're playing something. I don't think they're playing high press attacking football all the time. I think they're playing something that's more adaptable. They're playing something that does a bit of both um, and and uses um, different approaches in different games, which is quite laudable. There there are, I guess, a, a group of teams that do want to play that attacking high press and Atalanta, I suppose, are the standard bearers for them. And, and there are other teams that are doing it to greater or less degrees down the, the table. But then I suppose even there, even within that context, if you wanted me to pick out an example from lower down the table of a team that was 100% all about the attacking press and 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 and, and all out one touch going for it, the jugular kind of football, it was Sassuolo under De Zerbi. And now he's moved on and they're still doing some of that under Dionisi, but they're, they're not doing it all the time. They're being more um, considered in how they approach things. So I don't think it's um, a loss of identity. I think there's always sort of um, variation within a theme and I, I wouldn't worry about that that too much. If, if it's a prevailing trend, it's it's just that, it's a trend. And and for me personally, I think um, Serie A is, is always, and, and you hear this echoed by players who come from abroad, it's always the most interesting tactical league because frankly, it's just how Italians view football. Italians are obsessed with tactics. There's always variety and um, an interesting thing is going on if you take a little peek under the hood. Yeah, I think it's normal that football evolves and obviously we see what's what's going around in Europe and, and how we can prevail against, you know, certain opposition and you look at different ways. I think that what's interesting, for example, is Inter came up against Real Madrid and that question was posed of Carlo Ancelotti, why aren't you playing with the high press? And he said, well, that doesn't really suit our game into what we have. We're much better off sort of, you know, playing a different style of football against this Inter side that has a lot a lot of technique, a lot of stamina, a lot more energy. Um, and actually, Simeone Inzaghi was talking about the fact that his team was saying that we want to play a higher pressing a brand of attacking football this year. Um, they had actually discussed this together um, as they were looking for ways in which they can be more unpredictable, more inclusive and in, in including everyone around it. And he spoke about that, but I think that's just, you know, yeah, it's exactly that. Uh, you know, once upon a time, there was the target man number nine, then it became the false nine, then it's just a regular nine. And it's, you know, these things keep changing. And, and I don't know whether Italian football actually has like a specific identity. So, I mean, these surely these identities change because German football was once renowned only for set pieces or 
or a certain level of like, you know, bullying tactics. Then they came up with, you know, obviously different things have changed, getting in pressing. And then we saw some great coaches coming out with different styles of football from your Ranics to obviously your clubs. And I think it's also normal that Italy try to embrace new trends, but there's still such, like Nikki says, there's still such great variety. And that's what I love so much because just watching Empoli play and then watching Sassuolo play and then watching Juventus, uh, Inter, they're all so different. And for me, that is what makes it so exciting because I think if there's ever a a league that has so much variety, at least from that level, it's still very much that, yeah. Yeah, I, I think we're we're a long way removed from the the writings of Jenny Brera, whose argument was that Italians were physically not impressive enough to play uh, <laughs> the sort of on a par football with the the Germans or the Nordic uh, countries, and they had to be cunning and cra- crafty and, and defensive in their tactics. I think we're we're beyond that. I like to hope uh, now in in twenty twenty maybe twenty twenty two. Mina, I can't believe it. Yeah. I mean, that's what they accused at the time of Spain when they said that they couldn't physically compete because they were so small on, on a you know vertical level. <laughs> and they were shorter players. And that's why they came up with the tiki-taka lower center of gravity play two with their strengths. But these are just things that people say. It's just different ideas, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, that might happen for a generation that you just have those players in your national team. But the idea of it being something you have to do all through your leagues, especially when leagues aren't even made up um, in even in a majority now by by players from your domestic countries, seems exactly. a bit of a reach to me. Um, next question comes from Inderman in Brooklyn. We had a very similar question from Kartik O as well. So we're just going to read out Inder's question, but um, thanks for your question as well, Kartik. Um, I have been asking this for years if y'all can answer in the next pod why do people undervalue Serie A the answer I commonly get is that it's slow and boring I understand it's not what it used to be but every league has ups and downs yet Serie A gets more hate I mean this feels like a very negative place we're starting this podcast these first few questions Mina but I know you even on Twitter this week were were making the case why all of this is nonsense yeah, absolutely. It's nonsense. I think that there has been a level of, I hate to say this, but sometimes I watch that a lot of people, I, I say a lot of people who discuss football don't necessarily watch all the games because it's hard to watch all the games. I'm not here to try to say like to criticize it, but if you are somebody that having to talk job. about the top five <laughs> leagues, yeah, it is a job. Like to the top five leagues, that means you have to watch Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich in Germany at least, you know, and this is not mentioning your Bayer Leverkusen's or whatever. You have to watch PSG, uh, you have to watch Lille, you have to watch Juventus and Inter and Milan and Napoli. And then, you know, like it, it's a lot. And so sometimes you're just, you, you cling on to whatever cliches you can think of. But what you have to understand in football, and I think that this is what changes us from you know, it's funny because I always laugh at, at Nikki and, and try to pretend that she's a, 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 an Inter fan. She's she's not. She's an Arsenal fan. <laughs> yeah. And it's difficult to be a fan sometimes when you are a journalist because you see different things and different broadcasters will have rights to certain leagues and they will say what they need to say in order to promote their own leagues. Um, and so we will forever hear about the Premier League is because right now it is the best uh, serving and it is exciting and they have a lot of money and they can afford to bring in the best players. But I think that what Serie A's problem is, is that it did go through a lull 
people have yet to really shake off that reputation and embrace the new the new football that is being shown right now. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with obviously Juventus's tactics aren't the most interesting to watch. And they have been sort of the flag bearer of Serie A for the last nine seasons because, you know, they have won it other than Inter last year. But having said all of these things, if you watch Serie A, there's just absolutely no way that you can say that this level is is poor. Um, and And I think that what you have issues with when it comes to Italy is because there are changes. So Milan coming in are the fourth seeds and you're putting them up against, you know, really tough teams in Atletico Madrid and, and, and Liverpool and expecting them to fight against their old reputation, the Milan of old. And I think that's another issue is that Serie A is having to constantly be the team that was so great in the 90s that people are not recognizing what is brilliant now or what has changed now or who they are now. It's like their identity is being covered for the sake of us continuing to talk about the past. Oh, but they were the great Serie A. Yeah, okay. But things have changed since then. They are still great, but for very different reasons. They are not defensively strong. We saw that from Atalanta. We saw that from Milan. Um, and, you know, there are just, there are different things that they know how to do or different ways of playing. And I don't think people watch enough of it sometimes when they do speak about it. But if you look honestly across what they are doing right now and when I get upset about all these things is because... Firstly, I shouldn't take it so seriously because punditry is about, you know, who your broadcasters are talking about, what the pundits think. And most of the time, English speaking pundits are following Premier League, right? So that was always going to be the one, number one. And, you know, you had, it's because Italy don't do a great job when it comes to the Europa League. And that's one thing that has been sad. And when you talk about, for example, um, Spain, which the quality has gone down greatly, but you can always point to Real Madrid and Barcelona usually being so strong, usually being able to afford all the big players. And then let's say the likes of Sevilla or Villarreal who managed to do something in the Europa League. But because Italy just don't care sometimes or haven't been able to show their best when it comes to those competitions and haven't had enough of a team to really compete in the Champions League stage, then it becomes a problem because in Europe, that's what makes the difference. And yet I do find it ridiculous that no one sort of, it gets so much flack when you think about the fact that the Bundesliga gets a lot of love and is pretty much always Bayern Munich and no one else. I mean, even Dortmund didn't make it. Um, but Serie A is fighting its reputation. The Bundesliga isn't. Yeah, I, I think people are, um, are lost in a narrative on this one a little bit. Um I think when you take a step back and look at the situation, this is, I think this is the, the blunt truth and, and it's um, not a truth that everyone's going to be uh, excited to hear, but the, the money in the Premier League has distorted yeah. European competition somewhat and the Premier League is now genuinely in a, just a stronger position than any other league in Europe. And this season, Barcelona didn't get through the group stage either. So Spain hasn't got all these teams that you expect to see in the next stage. And, and in fact, you know, it could easily have gone the other way with Villarreal and, 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 and Atalanta. And then there'd be what one Spanish team. That's like two Spanish teams, of course, Atletico and, and, and Real Madrid in the second uh, round. But it it's not like Spain is getting everyone through right now. Uh, it's not like all of these Spanish clubs are, are, are dominating. As Mina said, it's, it's certainly not the case that the German, um, the Bundesliga has this depth of, of quality right now. There is one league with a great depth of quality right now. And surprise, surprise, it's the league that's vastly richer than everyone else. That's um, 
a, a challenging point for all of European football. Um, it brings us back yet again to this uh, Super League conversation. And I always feel like I have to say whenever I mention the Super League, I do not like, did not like, would never support the Super League idea. But it's where that comes from in the minds of the European football club owners, in the Spanish clubs, in the Italian clubs, wherever it's come up, it's because there is a sense of one league in particular that gets TV domestic rights that blow everyone else out the water by a long way at this point is pulling away, is separating itself. And maybe that's fine. Maybe that's that's where it's just going to go. What's interesting about that is it doesn't inevitably mean that Premier League clubs win every year. You know, you've seen Bayern Munich be brilliant despite that in recent seasons. So it's not a guarantee. But at this moment in in football's international cycle, that's where we are. And who knows, maybe in another 20 years time, it will look completely different again, because you only have to go back to the 90s, which is 30 years ago, to see a completely different situation with Italian clubs being so much richer than, than some others. So nothing is permanent, but for now, that's where we are. I also just want to point to something because I got I get asked a lot of this and I and I had to do this across different podcasts this week when I've been talking after Champions League matches. And one question put to me by Pat Nevin is how does Italy feel that it continues to get pummeled by English sides? And that was in relation to Juventus versus Chelsea and obviously then Liverpool versus Milan. Um or actually Milan versus Liverpool. And here's one thing that I want to say. I mean just just Nikki mentioning it, money makes a huge difference. You know, like when we talk about sides that have money, like one of the, there's very few. I mean, Inter had great money invested into it. And then unfortunately they had to work around what they could this season. And actually they're probably even better because they made really wise decisions. PSG have spent a lot of money and don't look like a completely solid side, frankly speaking. So money, it's not necessarily the end all and be all of life, but it's good. I mean, when you look at what Milan did against a side that has Griezmann, that has Luis Suarez, that has some of you know the highest paid coach in the world in Cholo Simeone, then you have to think to yourself, like, that is an achievement considering the fact that this is a team that, as everyone likes to mention repeatedly, has an ex-delivery man on their squad in Junior Macias, who waited until he was 28 to make the difference at this level. So... People, money makes a difference and not necessarily always Juventus build a great side that reached the final. But again, when you have Lamina on the bench and Real Madrid could bring in Gareth Bale, these things do make a difference. But what I want to also point out about English football is the actual Italian football on a grassroots roots level is still superior to so many. And by that, I mean, when we are talking about what Antonio Conte's is doing at Tottenham, for example, or what he did at Chelsea and banning mayonnaise. Or these trends were there well before in Serie A. I mean, we're talking about these originated there. I mean, you talk about big clubs. Ventrone, who his who is his current um, fitness coach, comes from Juventus and was the fitness coach of Marcello Lippi when they were reaching all those Champions League finals well before in the nineties. When you talk about Real Madrid winning three years in a row. It was Zinedine Zidane studying Lippi, then working under Ancelotti, using Italian tactics and having Pintus as his conditioning coach, another guy who comes from Italy, another old school fitness coach from the 90s in Italy. It is still Italian trends, Italian tactics, Italian ways of managing a club from nutrition, 
onwards. I mean, if you, you just need to walk into Udinese and to see the kind of menus that are presented to the, the families of certain players to just see how much Italian football still leads the way in the way that things are designed. It's still Claudio Ranieri is the man that won at Leicester City. It's Carlo Ancelotti and Antonio Conte that changed so much for Juventus, not to, not to even mention that any of laid the foundations to Mourinho. It's still a lot of Italian tactics. So when people want to talk about that, respond and say it's still them leading the way and try to prove otherwise. Got really defensive there. <laughs> I was I was pretty and mean it. Seria Chronicles is excited to partner with Kalido Media, an Australian digital media agency specializing in website design and development and digital marketing. The Kalido Media team has a diverse range of digital skills, including helping our podcast by managing its social media accounts and editing videos for YouTube. Whether you're looking to enhance your website to attract new business or find an audience via social media marketing to generate leads and sales, Kalido Media will work with you to develop a customized digital strategy for your business. They've had a lot of success in generating leads and driving online traffic for various types of businesses, including home builders, renovators, and kitchen cabinetry professionals, commercial cleaning, and even tennis coaches. So if you're looking to attract new eyeballs to your business to generate leads and drive sales, visit kalidomedia.com.au to get in touch with the team to discuss a strategy to fire up your business, connect with your ideal audience and communicate your message. Fire up, connect and communicate with Kalido Media. See the link in the show notes. Sorry, Nikki, sometimes I get a little bit defensive, but... Um, no. <laughs> I love it, Mina. I'm here for it. I'm here for the fight. Smash him. Tell them all to go to hell. <laughs> love you for that. Um, okay, here's a question for you. He, I think he's like one of your favorite players right now because you are a little bit in awe of him. I think it's very difficult to not be a little bit awe of him. But in today from Hamilton in Canada asks, considering Giovanni Simeone's current form, Will he finally find himself a home in Serie A following his loan spell at Hellas Verona? And where do you think he will end up? Um, I, I think he absolutely is going to... Um, I mean, I, I, the phrasing of this question slightly trips me up because I feel like he's found a home in, in Serie A as a league for a while now. I mean, he's been in Serie A for, because part of his senior career at this point and, and obviously going through Genoa and Fiorentina and, and Cagliari, uh, he's on loan right now um, from Cagliari at uh, Verona. Um, Verona paid a million euros for the loan this season and they have the diritto di riscatto, the option to buy for another 12 million euros at the end of the season. Unless he um, either suddenly forgets how to score these goals or gets injured, I, I can't imagine a scenario where Verona do not pay that. And that's not something I say lightly, by the way, because for, for Hellas Verona, I appreciate um, 12 million euros might not sound like um, a, a big deal in, in the current transfer market, but for Verona it is. But I, I simply think it's it's reaching the point with his form where it becomes a, a no-brainer because even if you sort of feel like that is stretching yourself beyond what you can necessarily afford, at this point I think you would sell him for more than that. So you might as well buy him and, and if you really don't think you can afford it, you, you cash in. But I certainly hope that won't be the case, actually, because I just feel like 
as long as Igor Tudor is the manager there and things are going in the direction that they're going, um, given that it's taken him this long in his career to really hit this confident, not just streak, because we've seen him scoring patches before, but this has gone beyond a streak now into something that's more consistent where he's crashing through that uh, double figures barrier and with so much season left, you think he's going to go on and really make this a a good campaign. I, I, I hope that the club can can make that work for him but who knows because also by the end of this season if they don't want to keep going the way they're going Tudor's likely to have some more suitors and maybe he'll want to go somewhere and, and take um Simeone with him if that partnership is still working out but certainly in the immediate term I mean I'm, I've said it in a slightly speculative way before I, I think I, I I can say more confidently that I'm, I, I know that Verona are looking to get their ducks in a row to make this transfer happen because um why wouldn't you, frankly? As I, as I just said, at the very least, he's he's now an asset that you know you could sell on for more than you would pay for him. And um, especially with, as I also said, one million already invested up front on the loan, I think it's it's becoming a no-brainer for Verona. It's funny actually when um when the match that really I think blew everyone away was the one against Lazio, and everyone just thought, wait, hold on, is is Simeone just really good against Sadi-led teams <laughs> um, because when he was at Fiorentina, he's got a hat-trick against them. But what was interesting after that match was the local papers in Verona actually had a picture of the sporting director of Verona in D'Amico. And he, they were talking about the fact that he bet on Caprari and Simeone and they were two players who didn't receive virtually any interest from anyone um, in other clubs, they were basically just hoping someone would show an interest in them. And he thought, I'm going to bet on these two guys. I believe in them. I think, you know, what, what's it going to hurt? And it's amazing what they've managed to do and what they've created. And again, you wouldn't have noticed that until obviously Igor Tudor came in and just plays a style of football that allows them all to speak and communicate closely so there isn't any isolation there. I think he's somebody who works better in these types of teams. Um, he actually works well when there's someone who plays close to him, and he has that right now in Alas Verona. And it's something that I, he didn't have, I think, at Cagliari. Um, so I, I just hope that his career keeps growing because there's something about this kid that's really lovely to watch because when he sets off, he is so interesting to watch and really credit to Verona for, for, for taking risks on players that they believed in uh, when no one else did. Yeah, I, I agree with you. He's got something, hasn't he? He's got that little bit of, yeah. of pizzazz to his game, that little bit of, of, of sizzle that makes you want to to get out of your seat when you see him running with the ball. And um, I, I think... Um, it's definitely still, look, you've still got to keep proving you can do it. But I, I think that people get so caught in ideas of footballers. Like this is, previously we've seen him like have a couple of hot patches, but never be a consistent goal scorer. Yes. So that's what he's going to be forever. And it's like, well, he's 26. Why can't he change? Why can't he get better? Why can't he continue to improve? And I, I think we're seeing him hit a point where he's really kicking on. And that's, that's exciting. Um, last question for today. And I'm going to apologize in advance because this person who sent this question in has a name that I am absolutely certain that I'm going to mangle. Um, I think oh, my too. best stab at pronouncing it is Eumangus, um, but I'm sorry if that's not a good way of pronouncing it. And please, in fact, let us know if you can, if, um, if we're doing you a disservice. But 
Here is their question for you, Mina. Can you let us know in your next Q&A pod what's happened to Juventus' defence this season and what needs to happen for them to stop leaking goals? Did Max Allegri simply inherit a well-drilled defence from Antonio Conte when he came the first time around and ride its coattails for five years during that first stint at the club? Amina is holding her head in her hands, guys. She is in agony with this question. It's a good thing I don't know how to pronounce the name because <sighs> I'm telling you we're about to argue here. <laughs> I just um How? What do you mean riding his coattails? The guy reached the Champions League final <laughs> twice based on what? Antonio Conte's defense. Are you kidding me here? Like this it's no, come on. I just feel like I don't know. I know this sounds crazy, but we we set up these sort of brands in in football, right? Like for some reason, like everyone hates Real Madrid, but every time I see any post about like Xavi at Barcelona, it's always coupled with that emoji with like those giant crying eyes, like oh, it's Xavi, like love, 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 hearts, kisses. Yeah, don't know why this team is so beloved by everyone. It's like when Jose Mourinho was going on the Pod K rant, and you think like. You know, what is it? Is it the UNICEF? What is it about Barcelona that no one ever seems to hate? They just get lots of love. And what is it about Antonio Conte that everyone else is just a fraud and he is the guy that did it? Sorry, dude. Inzaghi did better. Allegri did better. He's great because he buys a lot of interesting players and he does do a really good job. So I'm not taking away anything from him, but I'm sorry. Allegri did better. And no, he didn't write the coattails of what Antonio Conte did. Conte is very good at simplifying the tactics at the back. He realizes what the mistakes are and then he tries to figure it out. Having said all of that, Inter were atrocious at the start of last season and it took him a while to figure that out, but people conveniently forget that because he wanted them to be an almost higher version of an Atalanta where they were exciting and, and, and playing further upfield and trying to cause chaos. And he realized it didn't work because he was putting too much pressure on the likes of De Bruyne and changed it where their their center of gravity was that much lower and they were no longer a high-pressing team. Again, something that Inzaghi has successfully navigated that Conte couldn't. So please, of course, it's different players as well, so that makes a difference. But when it comes to defense, and this is a pet peeve I have, because again, I've had to hear it this this week all the time when they're talking about Manchester United, when they're talking about Chelsea. What happened to Chelsea? How could they be conceding so many goals? I'll tell you why. They don't have a midfield. It's always, always your midfield. If a team can't figure out why it's conceding goals, you look at the midfield. There is nowhere else to look. You don't look at who's the center back. You don't look at what's happening. You look at what the controllers in the midfield. Who is cutting off the passages of play? How are they being positioned? Who is supporting who? When they talk about Ronaldo being a problem at Manchester United, which for me is an argument that I'm not even willing to have because he's not the problem. Yeah. What they what Juventus did at the time was work with Matuidi to have him cover the spaces that allowed certain freedoms to Ronaldo. It's your midfield. Your midfield is the brain. It covers up gaps. It changes things. Kadira would always step back in and cover any backs, um, any holes at the back that allowed Juventus to be strong defensively. They conceded only one or two goals when they reached the Champions League final. I'm sorry, if you think that's based on Antonio Conte's work, then we cannot have this discussion because I will cry. (laughs) That is entirely Allegri. He also had... 
and still like, you know, he had Leonardo Bonucci, he had Barzali, who for me was probably the best one out there, um, and Chiellini. Um, and he had Buffon. Four players that communicated so perfectly together, that understanding, that helps. But he also had a midfield that knew when to come back and cover the gaps because Alexandro certainly left a lot of them. And uh, there were problems, for example, when it was Danny Alves, because if he wasn't always practicing a certain level of discipline like he didn't do in the Champions League final, then it left Bazali too exposed. And the midfield was too concerned with trying to help the attack that it didn't do its job effectively. But this is why I say they have Lamina on the bench when obviously at the time Real Madrid had lots of options. But it is Marquisio's tactical intelligence. It was Pirlo's ability to play through the pressure. It was then bringing in Matuidi, who was a nonstop engine and, and, and a certain level of tactical intelligence that really is missing from Juventus at the moment. Hadira is a masterclass when it comes to knowing how to position himself in midfield when he's needed an attack and when he's needed in, in at, at the back. And this is a man who, alongside with Cruz, was credited with helping Germany win the World Cup. It was based on his partnership with Cruz that was the front headline of the German papers when they won the World Cup. It is always your midfield. They still have Leonardo Bonucci and Giorgio Chiellini, and they have Delift. It's not that they forgot how to defend, but right now they've got Locatelli and pretty much no one else at the moment. So, and despite all of that, the defense is not what worries me, frankly speaking. What worries me, I mean, you could say, yeah, they conceded four against Chelsea, but frankly speaking, Lazio conceded 32 in 17 games. Napoli is conceding a hell of a lot of goals at the moment. Milan haven't kept a clean sheet since the end of October or something like that. It's their attack. They just can't score a goal right now. Um, I'm, you know, concede all you like, but try to score more than one goal and they really suffer. But yeah, sorry, that was a bit of a rant, but you and I have words. (laughs) Here for your rants, Mina, always here for your rants. Um, I, you know, I, I, I will offer a slightly more tempered version of what Mina said, just by sort of saying that, look, um, I, I do think, um, that what Allegri achieved at, um, Juventus first time around, of course, was building on what he was, what he inherited from yes. Antonio Conte. It's inevitable, right? He didn't start from scratch. Yes. He did start from a position where, yes, that defence had been assembled. And that's a very nice place to start from. Um, I think it's certainly oversimplifying saying, did he just get that? And then, and that's that's why he did well, because no part of me believes that if Antonio Conte had stayed another season, that team would have played in a Champions League final. I just don't, um, because I see no evidence of it. Um, and I think Allegri benefited from some very astute signings by Beppe Marotta. And at that time, of course, Carlos Tevez um, was, was a big one. But I also yes. think that he exploited those players and and got the most out of what he'd been given in a way that, again, I don't think that someone else would have done. Tevez is is example number one, but actually the team kept changing for those four years that he was there and he kept adapting and integrating what he got. The formation, I think, was basically never the same from one season to the next for those four years. And the team didn't just go to one Champions League final, they went to two. I also think that um, Paul Pogba, for instance, I didn't. Paul Pogba played well under Antonio Conte. Paul Pogba basically forced his way into the team under Antonio Conte because Conte started off thinking, okay, here's our fourth option. And he became part of the starting three. But 
I still think the best football I've seen under uh, Paul Pogba play in his career was under um, Max Allegri. I think certainly the best football I've seen Alvaro Morata play in his career was under Max Allegri. Now, it's a shame that Morata's there again and Allegri doesn't seem to know how to do it again. Um, but I, I think that Max Allegri got the most out of several footballers and and it would be massively underestimating what he did the first time around to say that um, that he was just sort of benefiting from something that was laid down before. He certainly inherited something much better than what he did this time. Yes. Um, but he had to do a lot of work to turn that club into, to take them to two Champions League finals. hope you enjoyed this uh latest chronicles q a good to be back doing q a with you mina after a week off although i also yes. loved our interview with Gianluca buzio if you guys haven't downloaded that yet honestly you're missing out he's a, a really um interesting young player and i think we're going to be talking about him more in the years ahead um do get your questions into us on twitter for the next q a at Pod with the hashtag chronicles q a find both of us on Twitter at Mina Rizuki at Nikki Bandini. Uh, subscribe to the Serie Chronicles YouTube channel for clips of the show. Leave us a rating and review. As always, five stars only, please, on Apple <laughs> Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, we will see you again next week to find out who is eating their panettone. <laughs> Ciao I think now we go into what's happening with Milan, Napoli. Yeah, go Napoli next. Sounds great. The disasters. We've spoken about the good ones. Now we talk about the disasters. That's it. I sort of feel like that top section was like a positive section. Now we just go into the like, what about everyone else? Yes. The doom and gloom. I love your Scottish accent that's coming out, Mina. (laughs) I know, I do feel like it's very Scottish now, really. The Dualman Okay. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.